This morning we shall begin a marvelous journey through the glorious book of James. Our message today will be based primarily on James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And today's message is entitled, Knocked Down, But Not Out. Knocked Down, But Not Out. Amy Carmichael, in the book Candles in the Dark, she wrote these words. The best training is to learn to accept everything as it comes as from him whom our soul loves. The best training is to learn to accept everything as it comes as from him whom our soul loves. She also stated in her book, trials can knock a strong man over and lay him very low. Trials can knock a strong man over and lay him very low. There are times when it seems like life is like a boxing match. We, hit, we get hit by one blow after another. We sometimes we get hit with a jab, Sometimes we get hit with a hook. Sometimes we get hit with an uppercut. And sometimes we get hit with a haymaker. And sometimes when we're hit, we're merely dazed. We stumble. We are off balance. But if we are honest, there are sometimes when we are hit by the trials of life that we find ourselves on the canvas. And sometimes, some of us who watch boxing go back some years, there was a fight between Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard. And Roberto Duran was a man known as a man in the hands of stone, and he was known as one of the best fighters pound for pound. Sugar Ray Leonard was a little pretty boy who floated around and everyone was thinking that Duran was going to slaughter him. But Sugar Ray kept jabbing and jabbing, weaving and jabbing, jabbing and jabbing and jabbing and jabbing. And after a round, Duran made those finest words that came out of his mouth. No mas, no mas. No more, no more. And some of us sitting here today are some Roberto Duran. We done had some trials in our lives this week, and we done got hit and hit and hit. And then you got hit the week before, and you got hit the week before, and you are telling God, no mas, no mas. No more, no more. Trials have a way of hitting us sometimes when we least expect it. And many of us, as we were traveling home last week on Sunday and we went to our homes and maybe turned the TV on or maybe we had our electronic devices out. And you start hearing this news about a helicopter crash and you start hearing that it's Kobe Bryant and you're saying, this can't be. 
And then you imagine his family and his wife and his kids and they get that news. That's one of those haymakers. That you sit there and say, we might have had our ups and downs. We may have had issues in life. We may have had blows in life. But this one has knocked me to the canvas. Some of us have had a death of a loved one, loss of a job, health issues. And we're knocked down. But praise the Lord, we will be not knocked out if we rely on and trust in the Lord's strength. Throughout this book, throughout these messages that we will have in the weeks to come, it's never about our ability, but God's ability. It's never about how strong we look. There's no issue about how strong we think we are even in the faith. God will allow a trial to come into our life to see how we are going to respond. This morning we're going to look at two points, faith in trials, and the second point is going to be paradox in trials. So let's begin our journey by looking at our first point, faith in trials, and we find these words, in the beginning of verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that we are told is, who is the author of this book? James was the oldest half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was a devout Jew during Christ's ministry on earth. James and his other brothers were unbelievers. Even though they grew up in the house of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though Jesus was their older half-brother, the scripture lets us know that while Jesus was on this earth, they did not believe in him as the Lord and Savior. But after becoming a believer, James became a leader in the Jerusalem church. But don't forget that he first was a devout Jew. That wasn't just a Jew by birth. He lived his life as a devout Jew. James in our text describes himself as a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's at the point now that he knows that his half-brother, Jesus, was not only his half-brother, but he was God in the flesh. So he says, I am a bondservant because he knows Jesus and God are one in the same. But isn't it interesting that he does not drop a name? Because some of us know if we was the half-brother of Jesus, well, the first thing that came out of our mouth was, I belong, I'm with him. That's my brother, that's my sister, that's my family. He doesn't identify himself with Jesus as anything close in a physical way. Everything is on the spiritual way. I am a bondservant. I am a humble servant of God. James has been called the challenger, as there are 54 imperatives or commands in just 108 verses. So even though this book is small and short in volume, it is powerful in commands. So whenever you see a command, that's where you put a period after. You don't put a question mark. You don't put a comma. You don't put in there what I think. God is talking to James in terms of this is what it is. Some have called the book of James as a New Testament book of Proverbs for the wisdom that may be found in this glorious book. There are various themes throughout this book, but one of the main themes is true faith is a faith that works. 
That means that if I have salvation faith, there ought to be a change in my lifestyle. Now, he didn't tell us to start counting what changes were made. He doesn't tell us in this book to start counting other people's fruit to determine if they are a believer. But what he is making the statement is, if you have come into contact with God, if you have come into contact with Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior, you are going to do something. Mm. In chapter 1, James talks about how our faith will be tested in trials and temptations. He challenges or encourages the saints to grow up, to mature in the Lord. So he's already beginning to let us know why the trials will come in our lives. They come in our lives primarily to grow us up in the Lord, to mature in the Lord. God is not concerned about you accepted the Lord in 1980. He's concerned about are you maturing and growing up in the Lord. When God's saints go through personal trials, they discover what kind of faith they really possess. Remember, trials not only reveal our faith, they also develop our faith and Christian character. The book of James has been outlined as follows. If we truly practice our faith in the Lord, it will be seen in, one, in chapter one, how we face our trials. Two, in chapter two, how we treat people. Three, what we say with our mouth. Four, how we deal with sin in our lives. And chapter five, how we pray. So when we begin to look at that, James is going to say, if you're truly practicing out your faith, it will be demonstrated in these various areas. So if you are a person with a sharp tongue and you're cussing everybody out and you're destroying everybody, he's saying that's an indication of your faith level. If you don't pray and you're always talking about you need to pray, that's an indication of your faith level. When trials come in your life, as we're going to see, and we don't respond the right way, that's an indication of your faith level. It is not an indication of whether you are a believer or not. So you got to keep stuff straight or you will be messed up. Chuck Swindoll puts it another way. He outlines the book of James around faith response to life. He says in chapter 1, when faith is stretched, it doesn't break. Chapter 2, when faith is pressed, it doesn't fail. Chapters 3 and 4, when faith is expressed, it doesn't explode. When chapter 5, when faith is distressed, it doesn't panic. Everything is focusing on the faith of the person. That's what it's going to be focused on. So even your trials is not so much directed to you, but directed to your faith. Mm. The book of James deals with the crucial relationship between faith and active works is balancing right belief with right behavior. Praise the Lord, Christianity must not only be believed, it must be lived. So one of the things is, we sometimes say, I am a believer. And even what we were learning yesterday, and even a little bit that Joseph shared today, it's not about doing, but being. 
If the Bible tells me I am victorious, if the Bible tells me I am an overcomer, I believe that the Bible says that, but do I live my life that way? How many of us in here now are living as overcomer, victorious, or are we living as victims, or I'm getting by? How you doing, brother and sister so-and-so? I'm getting by. Taking it one day at a time. Trying to make it. I'm trying to find anywhere in the scripture where God said, I describe you as trying to make it. <laughs> trying to get by. Day by day. I, I don't see it in there. You know why I don't see it in there? Because it ain't in there. The type of Christianity that has no experience of a changed life is no Christianity at all. The proof of real faith is a changed life. The true seed of saving faith is verified by the tangible fruit of serving faith. It has been said, when we were young, we were full of bruises and scrapes on our knees. You remember some of us, we would come home and it was a good day that we didn't have a hole in our pants. It was a good day when we weren't all scarred up because we done ran and fell or somebody pushed us up, pushed us down or somebody beat us up at school. We came back with scars all the time. But now as we get older, hopefully you're not falling and tearing up clothes anymore. But as we grow older, now those scars and wounds have moved inside. So when we live this life, we, don't, we have a lot of bruises, a lot of scars, a lot of wounds. They can't be seen by our naked eyes, but we know they are internal. And the longer we live, the more bruises we get. So then he says, I'm going to tell you who the author is, but then he tells them who the audience is. He says to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. The 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, the word is dispersion or dispora, the Jewish believer, the 12 tribes were literally bruised with adversity. They were being hunted under persecution, instigated by the Romans. They were treated with hostility by the Gentiles. They were rejected by the Jews. They were rejected by the Jews because you had become believers. So you always have to remember, Jews are a different group of people. They are Jews by tribal. They are Jews by religion. So they are a nation and a religion. They're the only people like that. So now these Jews are saying, you have left us to become one of them. So they would persecute them, and these Jewish Christians are now facing great adversity and they are dispersed throughout the whole world. So now let's see what's waiting for them throughout the whole world. And that brings us to the second point, paradox and trials. He says, greetings, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So James begins to talk about troubles, about trials. Later in James 1, he's going to talk about temptations. But don't mix the two. Trials could be defined as follows. It's a testing of our faith, a moment used by God for our spiritual growth 
to draw us closer to him. Trials are outside force beyond the individual's control. The key is it's outside. When we get to temptation, temptation is going to deal with internal. Trials normally deal with things without our control. You lose a job. Someone dies. You got bad health. You have no control to a certain extent over those, but they'll still come into our lives. Death of a loved one, we have no control over that. Temptation, I decide I'm going to respond by anger. I'm going to decide to respond by hatred. That's within me to control. So what is meant by this paradox in trials? How is a Christian able to have joy in the midst of trials? And why do trials occur in a Christian life? Why do they even exist? There are some misconceptions out there, so let's clean up some of the misconceptions before we go into some of the real reasons. One, the misconception is trials come in our lives and they are always a form of punishment from God. Now there are some people teaching from pulpit saying whenever there's a trial in your life, that's God's way of punishing you. Always. That's a lie. Two, they go away once you reach a certain level of maturity. So once you, once you start floating in the air, you're one of those Christians that floating in the air because you're so holy and stuff, you, you're just waiting on the wings because you keep looking back saying, I know they're going to come someday because I'm so holy. So now I done reached this holy plateau that I ain't supposed to have no more trials. Three, there are those who teach there is really no such thing as adversity. So now some of you saying, if I'm sitting in one of these churches, I already know where's the exit. Way back in the old days, where the pinky going up? Because I'm getting ready to get out. See, I, I done got caught a couple of times in churches where I done went and I ain't really prayed too hard before I went because I'm going for some friend and I'm going with them. And now they start talking and I'm already thinking, where's the exit? How am I going to get out of here? So I'm thinking, when is the offering going to come? I said, I wish it was one of those old, nice Baptist churches when we walk around. Because when we walk around, I'm going to keep walking right out that door. Okay. So, 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 so I'm already thinking, how am I going to get out of here? So some of you done probably been there. You done went somewhere and you said, oh, why did I got myself into? You know, you done went to one day and you got all these little live chickens running around. Oh, I'm in the wrong place. Trials. Misconceptions. But what is the reality of trials according to the scriptures? The first thing that James teaches us about the reality of these trials is that they are inevitable. That is, it's not an if, but a when. So you read your translation, I don't care if you got King James, New King James, NIV, NEV, NASB, it's not going to be if. But when? James wasn't giving a word of wisdom to the brethren if they faced a trial. He offered wisdom for the times when trials come. So he says, I'm not giving you a word, I'm not giving you a wisdom that you're not going to have to use one day. You're going to have to use what I'm telling you because it's not an if, it's a when, it's an inevitable. So I'm trying to prepare you when it comes how you are to respond. So you won't be caught off guard when the trial comes. And we can benefit from our trials, 
but we must respond. We must demonstrate faith in the Lord when they come. So God says, I'm going to send you trials, and your response must be one of faith. When I get hit with the left jab, I'm not supposed to be all falling all apart. I'm supposed to be in faith and say, God, that didn't knock me out. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on, mm, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Peter is saying, you're going to have some fiery trials, you're going to have some difficult trials, you're going to have some troubling trials, but don't act like you're surprised. But see, if you kind of got some of those misconceptions in your head, I'm living a good Christian life, I'm doing everything right, why should trial be coming to me? So when you heard those misconceptions at first, you say, oh, who would be stupid enough to believe that? Last time a trial came in your life, did you start thinking, why is this happening to me? Who, me? It should be happening to those Christians who aren't as faithful as I am. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God said, if you have some difficulties come in your life, if you have some persecution comes in your life, if you have some distresses come into your life, especially if those distresses, persecution, and insults are coming in your life because you are living a faith life, and you feel weak, then he says, that's when we become strong. We don't become strong because we pray our way out of it, per se. We become strong because we begin to depend and trust in God more and more. When I get hit, I'm not crying and moaning. When I get hit, I'm saying God's word is true. This week you get hit with a left, you get hit with a right, you get hit with an uppercut. Are you still going to say, I am an overcomer? I am victorious. I am a child of God. God is my protector. Because some of us, he ain't got to do nothing but glaze us with a hit. We don't. We going to everybody but God. We actually sometimes, if we want to be truthful, we begin to say, God, where were you to protect me from this? Why did you allow this to happen to me? You heard a lot of that this week with all the people with the, the tragedy with Kobe, and you heard all these people, why did this happen? Then you start hearing the F word. This doesn't seem fair. How many times do you hear somebody say fair? So what they're basically telling God is you don't know what you're doing. 
And this isn't right for this to happen to somebody so young. This isn't right for this to happen to somebody who was doing so many good things. God says, I done appointed everybody's day on this earth. How are you going to tell me when I made a mistake? Please. What type of trials are inevitable? They will be various. In the Greek is pokilos, where we get our term polka dot. So you got a little Greek and you know where polka dot comes from now. Consequently, we can expect our lives to be spotted and spattered with trials of all sizes and shapes. We all aren't going to get hit with the same type of trials. We're not all going to get hit with the same degrees of trials. You will get hit with the trial that God has your name on. See, some of us say, I'm glad my name wasn't on that one. Well, we know this is not a one-time occurrence. So this week it might be death for somebody. You say, well, by the grace of God, that wasn't me. God says, you don't know. Next week I got a... Hmm. They're diverse. They're various. Are they accidental? Do they just happen chance come upon us? And we already know the answer to that. Trials that come our way are not accidental. Why? Because we serve a sovereign God. Mm. Amen, amen, amen. So if we say our God is sovereign, if we say our God is all-knowing, then how in the world are we going to say a trial is an accident or a coincidence? So quit saying he's all that if he ain't really all that. So if anything comes down my road, if I get a phone call, if I get a letter, if I get a text, if I get some kind of news that I consider bad, I cannot sit there and say, this was just coincidence. God had a plan for that to happen. Then we get into the saying, my God wouldn't be that type of God. He's just a loving God. He's just a righteous God. And I'm saying, I'm glad I don't serve the same God as you. Trials. We have a loving, heavenly Father. Amen, amen. Who controls the affairs of this world. We have a lovingly, heavenly Father who has a purpose behind each event. Each event. See, when we were talking about him create, being the creator and us being born, we like that. We like when we hear that he's got a plan. We like that. But now when we start hearing every event is part of his plan, we don't like that. So we want to pick and choose what, what is in his plan what's not in it. Remember, stop viewing trials as simply bothersome offenses and start seeing them as glorious opportunities. See, if I'm still seeing trials when they come in my life, it's something I got to get through. Something that I'm praying that I have enough strength to get through. If I'm still viewing trials as I've had enough, I don't need any more. Then I'm still missing the picture why God allows trials to come into our lives. One person put it this way. God is not interested in watching our faith get torpedoed by trials. 
He's bringing the trials. He's allowing the trials to come into our life so that we can draw closer to him. That our faith and trust can get stronger in him. And some of us foolishly say, it's strong enough already. But when that trial comes, you demonstrate it's not. And he already knows that. We must understand testing comes from a Greek word, dokimos, which means approval. God's desire is to help the clay vessels created in his image to mature in the furnace of trials to his glory. When Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were placed in the fiery furnace, the pagans said, make it seven times hotter. They thought that that was going to kill them and they would die by a painful death. But the Bible tells us just the opposite occurred. They pumped it up hotter and hotter, hotter and hotter, hotter and hotter, hotter and hotter. And then they looked in there and they said, wait a minute. Did we not put three in there? Why is there four in there now? Now, we know it wasn't probably any of our ancestors. Because when they looked in the furnace, they were dancing and praising God. They wasn't dancing and praising because the music was good. They were dancing and praising because God had shown how powerful, how glorious he is. How he rewarded their faithfulness. Peter. Don't, don't teach Jesus' name. Peter teaches Jesus' name anyway. He's thrown into the jail. He's thrown in Cook County Jail. And now when he's in Cook County Jail, he's not asking Channel 2. He's not asking Channel 5. He's not asking Channel 7. He's not asking Channel 12. Please put me on tape so I can get out because this is unfair. He's in there sharing the name of Jesus Christ. He's in there helping God bring souls to him. And we know what we would have been doing. We'd have been using our one, one phone call. We need to let the media know what injustice is being done. Really? If this is where God wants me to be, I'm in the best place I can be. Well, we knew it was going to get too many yes or amens on that. I left this first part out, and you said, well, he left a very important part out of this message. Because it starts off with this, consider it all joy. So he said, well, old past then, he's starting to get old. He's starting to miss, miss up scripture and stuff and miss it. I didn't miss it. He says, count it. That Greek is hegeomai, common word for counting or computation. It's this mindset of calculating. So now how do we begin to understand what this is being said and we'll fully understand it a little bit more next week when we go into the other verses. But now we need to understand, has James lost his mind by saying, consider it all joy? When we go through various trials, when we 
face various trials, when we face trouble, when we face suffering, when we face hardship, when we face persecution, when we face distress? How in the world as a child of God am I to rejoice when I'm going through all of this? So let me break it down. We rejoice in trials not because they're pleasurable, but because God makes them beneficial for us. But see, that means we have to trust what he's doing is beneficial. See, next week he's going to talk about patience, he's going to talk about endurance, he's going to talk about character. Those are the things that he says, I'm going to be working you through, but you got to trust me while I'm working it through. Mm. James is not saying it will be easy to count it all joy when we are going through a trial. But he is saying that we are to be joyful not only when the trial is over, but during it as well. Mm. See, some of us can shout, <laughs> we can scream, we can say hallelujah when the trial is over. But God is saying, I expect my children to say hallelujah in it. Mm. This tape ain't going to sell. Because I just said something that someone sitting here today need to put in practice right now. You're basically telling God, I got a lot of praises for him once he brings me through. When I get to the other side, when I get to the promised land, when the, when the doctors are all done and they say I got a clean bill of health, now I'm ready to praise them. God is saying, I, I am deserving of the praise. I just got to know so I don't have a job anymore. You said, you guys have fired me? No, that's not. I don't have a job anymore. But while I'm in the unemployment line, when I'm in here, I'm saying, God, I'm still praising you. I'm still saying hallelujah because I know you're going to bring me to the other side. Are you an other side worshiper? You only got a hallelujah in you once you get the result that you want. We are to respond to our trials not by complaining. Not by experiencing overwhelmingly fear and anxiety. We are to respond to our trials by faith in God and joy and trust that God is working a miracle. How can we be joyful? By focusing on what the trial is working in us rather than the trial itself. See, what happens is when the trial comes, our focus is on the trial. It's not on what God is doing in us, through us, and for us. And because our focus is on the trial, our joy is affected by how that trial is affecting us. Hmm. We don't understand that whatever trial that we are facing 
is only a temporary suffering. God is not allowing this trial in our life as an exercise in futility. God has a purpose, God has a plan for whatever trial you are facing. We can count all things joy because God is working in all situations. But see, now those things when we say he's sovereign, when we say that he's in control, when we say he is omnipotent, when we say he is omnipresent, when we say all these things, we can say them, but do we believe in them? And if we believe in them, do we live it out? So we can have all the little cliches all on the wall. You can come in here and see all the omniscient, all he's created, all he's this, all he's that. He's Jehovah, he's Jehovah Jireh, he's Jehovah this, he's Jehovah that. And we'll scream and holler. And now God says, now is an opportunity for me to be Jehovah in your life. Now is the opportunity for me to be Jehovah healer. See, you can't heal you unless you got a wound. Well, I don't need to know him as healer. And you say, well, he's sustaining and providing. So maybe when you lose that job, and now he's saying, I'll be your sustainer and your provider. No, 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 no. I, I need the job. He said, you're not, you're not willing to trust me that I'll, I'll see you through. Some of us been here. Now, we might act like we ain't never been there, but we've been there. I always, you guys always tease me about my Vienna sauce. I know God done got me through a whole bunch of things eating Vienna sauce. So some of you done got so high and mighty, you don't need them as a saint. I won't eat that. Then don't eat. <laughs> don't eat. Starve. Because I can look around and say, none of you starve. None of you starve. But if he wants to sustain me, we were learning yesterday in our session yesterday, when he gave them manna from heaven, sustaining them. What the little scholars will start saying after a couple of years, this is all we got? This is all we got. He's trying to see him. Are you going to keep depending on me? I'm only going to give you enough for a day because if I start giving you too much, you're going to start hoarding it and you ain't going to be looking for me every day. He's some of us, he, he, he messed up with some of us. We got refrigerator, freezer, deep freezer, half a freezer, and then we say we ain't got nothing to eat. We can count on all things because God is working in all situations. We are not relishing in the temporary pain or sorrow, but we are looking to the accomplishment that the trial has in store for us. If I can begin to see my trials as God working to make me more like him, what do I have to complain about? Whatever trials that any of you are facing now, how are you facing them? Trouble with kids, trouble on the job, trouble in the marriage. Trouble, 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 trouble. And God is looking and saying, how are you responding? Is it drawing you closer to me or further from me? 
And some people sitting here today, they have to ask themselves, am I even upset with God? Because I don't think he's been fair. I shouldn't be going through this. I don't deserve this. These last years on this earth should be nice, quiet, and smooth. I was foolish enough to think that when I had kids and said, it's going to be nice and quiet. I can deal with Wanda in the house. And just when I thought it was nice and quiet, boomerang. What went out, came back. <laughs> Issues came back. Drama came back. And I'm saying, God, I, I think I was a pretty good dad. I, I think I did what I was supposed to do. Why is this now coming on me and I'm getting old? I should just be able to fade out in the sunset. And God says, no, there's more trials. Been at this church 15, 16 years. Saying, okay, I've been here 15, 16 years. Been in the ministry pastor for over 20 years now. It should be just starting to get quiet. And God said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> There'll be more trials. There'll be more issues. The question is, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond when you get knocked out, knocked down? How are you going to respond? Because all of us are going to get knocked down. All of us are going to get hit. If you're still in the land of fear, you're going to have a real hard time. But if you start understanding what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come, it's going to help you when you get hit. And before you know it, you'll be surprised. I just got hit, and I'm smiling. I'm rejoicing. I'm saying hallelujah. And I just got hit with something I thought I never would be able to sustain. But with your help, God, I'm able to say, hallelujah, hallelujah, anyhow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your marvelous word. We thank you, Lord, for this journey that you have us upon once again. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts. I know that your word does never comes back void. It is hit where you want it to hit. We just pray now that we will allow it to flourish in our lives, mature in our lives. And sometimes you had us here today to hear, to share it with someone else, someone else who may be going through a trial or a trouble at this time, and they are a brother and sister in Christ, and they're not handling it the way that your word says we should handle it. And now you've given us some words, you've given us some ammunition to be able to go to them and not talk to them as we're holier than them, not talk to them like we've never messed up when we've had trials, but because we love them and because we love you and we know that you gave us this word, not just on, for our own personal good, but for the good of the family of God. And we know good and well that if we just look in the city of Chicago, if we just look in our own families, they are suffering and they are hurting, they are wounded, they are scarred, and we know what the solution is and it is your word. So Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you will provide us we give you the praise. We sing hallelujah to you no matter what we're facing. Hallelujah to you because you are worthy of the praise. And we say all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we